to the Bean Ninjas podcast, where you get an all-access pass to see what happens behind the closed doors of a fast-growing global bookkeeping and financial reporting business. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Bean Ninjas podcast. And today we're talking with Mike Michelini from Global From Asia. Welcome, Mike. Thanks, Meryl, for having me. It's a pleasure to be on the show. I'm excited. We've talked previously, Mike, and there's so many different things that we could chat about here. But why don't we start with you talking about a couple of your different businesses? I know you've got a few different things on the go. So why don't we start there with what you're working on at the moment? <laughs> well, that might take the whole show. <laughs> I don't know. I think I might not follow what most people say about focusing on one thing. I try to do a lot of different things and somehow maintain that for many years. But uh, I usually say, uh, like you said in the intro, Global From Asia is my passion. It's kind of the quote unquote authority blog. It's, you know, people say they search Google and find a lot of different stuff around Asia business and uh, trying to kind of diversify out of China, Hong Kong, but Asia business and uh, e-commerce, Amazon FBA. So I'm a partner in an FBA company with coffee accessories niche, even some other products I'm a smaller shareholder in. And I do events. I have kind of different structures for events, like cross-border summits are our main yearly event. We have an association called the Cross-Border Association. And I also have a few productized services where I have uh, partnerships in. Wow. So this would keep you busy. What is your role in these different businesses? Essentially, I try to leverage my uh, authority blog, Global From Asia, or my content marketing experience and network and knowledge. So usually I'm my marketer, the content creator, or the connector, especially with the coffee one. I started that from Global From Asia's blog. So I basically put it on podcast and blog and email list that I'm getting back into FBA. I had, of course, done it myself for many years, but had sold that business. And so I want to get back in and kind of made it like a case study on the blog itself and leveraged you know, my content, my community, and raised, some people say I should be careful to say raised money online because I don't have this whole license. But you know, I had uh, one or two different people that were willing to risk some money and some other people were willing to risk their time. And I was kind of the facilitator maybe from a lot of these businesses. Interesting. And how did you structure the agreement where, so there's some money coming in and then some people that are willing to put in the time to run the business, I imagine? Yeah, basically it was like the people that would do the sweat equity and then people that would maybe leverage their capital. So it was even put out in a blog post. I still keep it online. It's not the contract itself, but sometimes we even refer to that internally. But essentially, uh, we could have raised even more money, but I just was a little bit, didn't want to risk too much, you know? So we raised to $40,000 US between two different people, one that was a smaller amount and one that was a little bit bigger amount. And then we had some hustlers, we call them applied. And I mean, honestly, that's my problem is uh, I want everybody to be involved, but we couldn't take everybody that I applied. And um, basically, it was not exactly an even split, but it somewhat worked out to be about 20 to 30% for each person. Then there was, of course, some advisors and smaller investors as well. And how long has that business been going for now? The blog post was put out at the end of July 2017, and we formed the Delaware company in maybe August. So it's about a year and a half as of recording this, and I don't know when the show will go online. But, but yeah, it's doing okay. 
I have to say it hasn't been, and it was tricky because I was even sharing it on the podcast and on a blog, you know, so we had actually some people leave and some people join, which we could talk about too. But um, we did have a shareholders agreement. We paid actually a pretty considerable amount to a lawyer in our community. And uh, he made a shareholders agreement for us, which I haven't done too many times actually, but we did for that one. Yeah. And I think that would be interesting. You mentioned that some people left, some people came in and is there any lessons from that or something that might be helpful for the audience when they're running their businesses or considering working with other partners? Sure. So I think one partner that left a little bit earlier, he was a retired American. He had lived in China many years and was a fan and listener and uh, you know subscriber and supporter. I think his like ideas was actually a lot of times people think Amazon FBA just think like passive income you know, just think like put something online and money will start coming into the bank. So I think he had different, maybe he never really said it totally directly, but he said he wanted to go focus more on real estate. He said he was having more interest and he wanted to more double down into the real estate. So he had, he was actually a second biggest money investor. I mean, he was in for 10,000. So he wanted to sell. That was tricky because it was only like six months in, I think. So Technically, we had these, you know, cliffs and vests, which we can talk about if you feel like it. But we could have kind of, you know, he had negotiated some less cliff, but we were a little bit too nice on him and let him vest when sell it, and we helped him find another buyer actually. But I think his big reason was he wasn't so active and he didn't really know how he could contribute, and he wanted to put money into real estate. I think he had underestimated the time it would take to. Uh, come to fruition is my feeling. We never really said it, but that's what I feel. And then others, like, I think everybody has this idea of Amazon being, I find a product in China, I put it up on Amazon, and I'm going to start to make money fast. And we're making money. I mean, we missed the first Christmas, but we did make it for 2018's fourth quarter, which is the main one for product businesses. And we got about 30K top line in December, which is pretty good. And, you know, we have a few listings. And honestly, as much as we want to have the hustler full-time, we've never been successful. It's so tricky to get the full-time person to put their full-time. Everybody like wants to do another business, another idea, and things like that. So it's been we're pretty happy, all the partners. But I think especially at the beginning, the first few months or first year, everybody's kind of like anxious. And you know, I think any business takes time, you would agree too, I think. Yeah. Absolutely. It takes time to get momentum and especially that first year. If you're starting from scratch, then it can be a lot of hustle with without a lot of payoff in the beginning. But then in the later years, but as you get momentum, it can you start to see some of the benefits of that. Yeah. So I wanted to ask next about your running events, and you mentioned that you have an event. Is it an annual event? Yeah, Cross Border Summit CBS for short has been our yearly conference since 2016. So it's fourth year this year. And is that a huge job, putting on an event like that? I've seen pictures and it seems like you get a pretty good turnout. Yeah, I mean, I think most event organizers would agree it's a logistical uh, nightmare. <laughs> but <laughs> some reason we keep doing it. I mean, it's we love it. I mean, I think it's great for the community. It's a great uh, celebration. It kind of wraps everything together. So we're trying to kind of fit into this whole, I started, you know, calling it the cross-border community, you know, meaning, of course, there's Asia, you know, global from Asia, but trying to kind of move it to more about doing business between two different countries, currencies, you know, cultures, languages. So of course, a lot of Amazon as well, uh, trading, import, export. 
but uh, yeah, I mean, it, basically, it's a huge project. I mean, we're planning our October one now and in March, and it still feels like it's not enough time. But yeah, we do it during the Canton Fair this time. We had done it in April before, but uh, it's a great time to get influencers, experts in our community to come out and share. But it's definitely a huge undertaking. And I think any event organizer would agree. It's not, that event itself usually isn't the money maker directly. Of course, there's other ways. Like that's why I have these different investments is kind of one of these benefits of, by doing it at a conference in your community, you become kind of a thought leader and expert and influencer and build so many amazing relationships. So that should be the main driver than the money directly from it. And so the relationships that you build from running that event then lead back into our businesses. Is that how you? Yeah, we try to make money by it from itself or at least, you know, cover the costs. But yeah, usually the money is not, if you really look at the money only from it, because it's, you know, it's a, at least a half a year of, you know, maybe not full-time work, but considerable amount of work. But if you can also integrate it with everything else you're doing and, and it can cross-pollinate your different activities, it's definitely uh, much more valuable. So you mentioned having a couple of productized services as well. Did you want to speak a little bit more about what they are and how they tie into the Global for Asia or cross-border thing? Sure, sure. So, yeah, we have... Um, over the years, you know, between being in China and doing different startups, we do some, like, you know, Speednage is a great example, right? You're, you could say you have more standardized offers. So one of them is socialagent.me. It's something we started many, many years ago about lead generation searching, and we're tailoring it more for Amazon sellers these days. But um, we've productized that because a lot of people want to leverage, you know, talent in Philippines or talent around the world and you know we're here in Asia we have a great team so if we've been able to bundle that into a package and kind of my secondary passion is productivity and working with online teams we're totally remote so you know the second one that maybe talk about is called regardingwork.com i have a little free ebook that even some friends uh, have enjoyed and uh, i talk about my ways i manage teams but uh, the product itself is a software for managing your HR, so managing your payroll and managing your different um, onboarding of staff. And so with these different businesses, so one, it sounds like software and then the other, the productized service, are you working with business partners in each of those businesses as well? And are they different people to, for example, the Amazon business that you mentioned earlier? Yeah, everything is different. (laughs) You know, I think different ones have different needs for different people. I mean, by me leveraging my, actually, I make uh, YouTube videos for the regarding work. So as you do, you know, we make a lot of SOPs and I used to kind of make them all internally. So I figured, you know, I use this a lot. And so I made a software installation for managing the online teams. And then I just get to basically make SOPs that my own team uses for the software that others can also use. And the developers, you know, it's more of an alliance with the developers and the team I'm working with. Whereas the Amazon business is more purely working with my uh, community or on a public level. So, you know, there's different needs. And then, um, but of course, everybody needs all these different services. They just try to be clear and transparent and just market at least fair market price, you know, and then people could use that service or not. I mean, I feel like it's somewhat 
in my world, at least with the Amazon world, there's people that are consultants and sellers, and also they have a training program. And then you have like, you know, you can have a joint venture, JV, but it doesn't mean it has to be a full company either. It could be just a contract or an agreement, which we could dive into the structures as well. Yeah, let's chat about that a little bit. You talked about joint venture agreements and how that might be different from actually opening a company with someone that you're going into business with. So let's explore that a little further. What are your thoughts on the topic? I guess it depends on the person listening today, their current level of uh, experience and you know how much they're willing to lose. First of all, you should be willing to lose what you're going to put in, whether that's time or money. You know, some people say losing time is actually more valuable than the investment of money. So you got to decide and realize that that's the risk, and that's part of the game of doing entrepreneurship and business investing. So the second is, you know, I guess depending on how much money you're going to put into it, and setting up a company is really to limit the liabilities, also to actually have a bank account which has been hard for all over the world lately in my getting a bank account open, but just to have a separation of assets and the viability of money coming in, how long will it take for money to come in? So like the Amazon business is a completely independent Delaware company with partners. And it's the reason is that Delaware is uh, myself as well as other partners are U.S. citizens. And to sell on Amazon U.S., if you're an American, you have to have a U.S. company or sell in your personal name. There's like these scary notices. At least that's what it seems like to me. So I would have preferred to do you know my normal Asia structures. But that case, you know, we were taking forty thousand dollars. We had somebody putting a considerable amount of their time into it. So we registered a company right away, and we, you know, it was very clear. But there's other cases like the software projects or other startups where it's more like a contract. Like I usually call it an MOU, a Memorandum of Understanding. And then a lot of times it's using maybe my Hong Kong company just because maybe it's because I'm the facilitator. And I'm the trusted agent that the partners trust me because I bring in maybe two people that don't know each other and myself. So you would say maybe that in the interim, it will be using my Hong Kong company, which just for so many years I've had the name Shadstone. There's a funny story about the name, but basically I have a consulting company that I use for my investments or my holdings. And this will be like the intermediary, you know, and then we can use that Stripe account. We can use the PayPal, the bank. And then once maybe we either agreed upon time frame or milestone, we could then look into registering a company, which has happened many times. But it's also been able to save us the time and, you know, the headaches of registering a new company, applying for a bank account, flying people in, et cetera, et cetera. So depending on the situation, the amount of money being um, put in, I went through an accelerator myself in China called China Accelerator back in 2012. And, you know, even they put in $15,000 and they'd said a lot of the startups in that program didn't yet register a company for that investment. They just had an, a contract until they was worth. I remember I asked the VC, their partner, you know, should I register a separate? He's like, it might not be worth it, you know, because it's so early stage. Even they, you know, as long as there was an agreement in place that the IP and the assets that are being created is clear and will be clearly moving into an entity where their shares and those other partner shares will be going. So honestly, it probably was really boils down to transparency and trust. You know, I mean, that's really what business is about. So yeah, I agree from my own experiences. I think a lot of business deals really come down to trust and really helps if it's outlined in some kind of 
written agreement so that it's clear and it creates those conversations between you and your partners about what is happening now and what may happen in the future. Exactly. But ultimately, my own perspective is that I would never want to have to get things to the point of a legal battle. So it's more about being able to agree everything up front and having a strong relationship. Yeah. So you must be juggling quite a lot of these different relationships with different partners. And it sounds like some of them have continued over many years. So how have you been able to maintain those good relationships with such a variety of different partners? It's a good question. And even mentioned it before we started, and I was thinking about that. I mean, it's not easy. You know, I, uh, I'll be honest, business relations, business partners is like marriage, you know, um, and some people say it's even more intimate than sometimes a marriage. I'm married with kids and, uh, you know, I kind of treat my business partners as also significant others. And I think it goes back down to transparency. Also, just that's where I guess my advantage is um, I love content creation. I love uh, internet marketing, which is also very time, very much scalable, right? Like this podcast will hopefully be on for years to come and hopefully helping people learn and also hoping people um, find these solutions they're looking for. So. I try to leverage things that are scalable and I try to continue to help. Like literally we've worked together with um, my CPA agency in Hong Kong and I literally just got a new client for that from my content, you know, and uh, my content has been driving leads and customers for that business for many years. And uh, that's still my IP and my uh, value. And my partner has no idea how to do online marketing and has no idea how to create content and is still amazed at the power of content. So I think maybe it's just my ability to find something I'm good at that's scalable. I mean, some people are good programmers and sometimes instead of them charging their fee, they'll say, can I get some equity in the company? Or, you know, maybe it could be a mix of money. And So I think if you can especially find a scalable skill that you can contribute towards businesses, but also I think by being active in a community, I'm constantly able to connect people and it's just, it's obviously so much better if you can connect people where they're, one of them has a vested interest in you're like a partner in. So I get some reward by making these introductions, which is, you know, as being a podcast or blogger, you know, a lot of times it's hard to monetize your content. Google AdSense or YouTube ads, you know, like don't pay as much as, you know, having a equity in a business for the long term. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. And you've talked about a couple of interesting things I want to ask more about. You mentioned being in an accelerator in China. And what was that like? Was that for expats or was that for the people in the local city that you were in? Or tell me more. Sure, sure. So I was in the third batch as China Accelerator. It is a little bit more for the foreign or international expat community. It was an English language program started by SOS Ventures, which is a pretty big fund. So they had been doing it since maybe 2010, but it was English only in Dali in Northeast China. It's moved since to Shanghai, China, but they've done an amazing job. They're very, very patient, which I think is important, but uh, it's a three-month program, still is, and they put in capital. You know, I think it ranges, I think it's even increased now. I don't feel comfortable to say the amount that, yeah, I guess the program might be changed now, but they'll give you some money and they'll give you actually an office for three months to work in and they uh, take a minority share of the company and they've had some really great hits. It was an amazing experience. I actually, talking about business partners, it really helped me to build relations with my partners. That's when I got out of my e-commerce business. I had 
sold out of my e-commerce business and I went all in on that. Because a lot of times by being a part-time in a lot of different things, you're not focused and especially other partners. So we all had to go in full-time to this program. And actually by spending three months in a, in a same room, I know we all love online business, but sometimes there's some, you get to know each other much faster and under pressure. And there's this demo day at the end where you got to pitch to investors. And so there's this pressure. Actually, I met my wife during the program in Beijing. Oh, wow. Definitely worthwhile. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was great. And something else that you mentioned when we were talking a little earlier was being interested in productivity. And I have a personal interest in productivity as well. And I guess having so much on and also balancing that with a family, what are some of the things that you do to help you balance these different businesses and being there for your family? and still being productive. Sure. I mean, I've given this totally free book. I don't even ask for an email. It's at regardingwork.com slash book. You can download it as a Google Doc or a PDF. I should make that an Amazon book, but that one kind of helps a lot of people. So essentially, my two biggest ones is wake up. I get up 5.30 every day, even Saturdays and Sundays. Maybe Sunday I'll sleep in until 7-ish, but I think waking up early and I'm a Pomodoro machine, like um, I call it grind reports. So I do 30-minute sets and I try my best to outline it the day before or at least have my top three things I'm going to do the next morning. And, uh, you know, we're recording the show towards the end of my morning. I try to have like, uh, you know, no interruptions in my morning. And uh, so usually I try to get at least three or four hours of solid work, which means eight sets is my target. Eight Pomodoros, eight 30 minutes, which is about four hours you know, with the five minute break between. And uh, I use brain.fm. Saw It's uh, amazing, simple. I don't know. It's just some kind of productivity music or music for your brain. And I have a timer and my wife calls me a robot. And then I get upset at the kids or the wife if they come into the office while I'm on my set. You know, I have my five minute break, but I just say, give me my morning. I work seven days a week in the morning. Afternoon, of course, I'm still working, but that's more my management mode. My morning is my maker mode, I call it. It's when I'm like very focused and I try to plan out which project I'm going to work on for 30 minutes. And, uh, you know, I have no messenger, no notifications on, just totally deep, deep into my uh, work. It's just been amazing. I've been doing that since 2014, maybe end of 2014, and it's just been a life changer. Also meditation. A lot of people would say, I think I also meditate in the morning and have my routine. There's the Morning Miracle by Hal Elrod, which is an amazing one. and. Uh, I'll stop there. But yeah, I'm very passionate about this stuff too. But I, I think it's all about, I get more done in my morning than most people do in a whole day, I think, right? So that's what I try. Yeah, you talked about protecting your morning and not having things open like Messenger and also planning out the you're going to work on in those Pomodoros. I think it can be easy to put up your email and then work on things that other people want you to work on rather than what your top priority project is. I can see that would take a lot of discipline to have created that habit. It's true. It takes time. And you got to start somewhere. You know, I didn't wake up at 5.30 from the beginning. I think it might start at 7, 7.30. I think I used to wake up like 8 a.m., but then I kept going a little bit earlier. I'll be honest, I notched it down. I used to get up at 5, and then I moved it to 5.30. I just felt like 5 was just a little bit too crazy for me. And did you have to retrain your team or anyone or reset expectations? with any? Yeah, I mean. Yeah, just to protect that time. I was just thinking about 
team members may originally have thought that you'd be available the whole day, but now you're not available during that time, or whether that was a pretty easy adjustment. I mean, now it's been almost four or five years, so people have gotten to know me by now. I mean, there was definitely the times, especially just the family, you know, everybody knows like, it's hard. Even on a Saturday, I grind. Actually, I work even better on my weekend mornings because there's no distractions except, of course, the, my amazing family. But I just try to, to tell them I'll be able to spend even, I focus, you know, my afternoon on the calls or the family time. There was a, a while of, yeah, you can say like training, but when people see my amazing output, what sometimes a partner or a customer or a friend or an email, I even put an email into my Pomodoro the next day. I'm like, you know, some people get stressed out with email. I still get stressed out with email. I can get overwhelming. That's probably the hardest thing to control because people just sometimes just spit something out of their brain into an email to you and expect something to happen. So I sometimes take a long email and I'll make it like my next day's work. Sometimes, you know, these long emails is work, you know, so it de-stresses me or de-stresses my partner. You know, some partner, it's true, like they'll ask you to do something and then like I have to, we might be switching my kid's school and it's such a nightmare of these applications. There are these huge forms and all these random questions. So that's a Pomodoro. You know, I'm not going to get stressed about filling out an application. And so my wife, her English isn't her native language, so it's on me to do that. And I just say, okay, I'll work on it tomorrow morning. And then when they see I actually get it done the next day, you know, they're not pressuring me to give them that immediate results. So I think people that work with me have learned that like, I get it done. It's just not going to get it done like within five minutes of you asking me to get it done. Of course, it depends on a priority, but if it's something somewhat urgent, I usually need a day to get them back and answer. A lot of times now I write long emails or I write long, I just block it off in my next day. You know, somebody's send me some complex question. That's what blogs are, right? A lot of times my top blogs are just questions uh, people ask me and I just put it into my morning writing or my Pomodoro the next day. And then they're just like top blogs in Google now like because I just spit out like a massive answer and uh, made it a blog post. Oh, that's awesome. And what's next for you? I know you're already doing a lot and you've recently moved countries, but what are your plans for 2019? Sure, I mean... So many people say I have, I guess I have ADD or something, but I mean, I just love creating stuff and business. I'm working on boot camp. I'm trying to put together like a seven day intensive, like FBA program in Thailand. Just put out an email to my list and got a bunch of applications. Just uh, might build it out into an actual school, to be honest, you know, like a business school, but I'm getting a huge, amazing response from the community. And uh, of course we got their summit. It's uh, the end of October 22nd and 23rd and uh, already getting amazing people lined up for that in Guangzhou, China. And, um, you know, I tried to do South America. I got in over my head. We had to push it back a year. I thought I was going to go to Colombia in 2019, but uh, we moved it to 2020. But I'm trying to plan things out even to five-year blocks, 10-year blocks. Like I think one thing with having kids and a family is... I think much longer term now, but I am trying to also spend time with the family. I live in Chiang Mai and people listening might be here. There's a lot of digital nomads and online businesses, but they probably don't see me much. I do a lot of work, but I just kind of hide in my uh, home office here because it's just work my mornings and then like afternoons and nights with my kids mostly or just squeezing in emails or phone calls. But uh, it's really, um, yeah, boot camp, Global Asia boot camp is 
probably going to become our like main flagship product at Global Major because like we were talking about, a lot of times I've spun off all these different businesses, but uh, I need to have a core product for the blog. So we're looking at doing that. And uh, yeah, I hope that's clear for you and everybody listening. I know I'm over- I overwhelm everybody. Everyone's so. <laughs> linking. How does this guy fit in so much? And then to hear that you've got a family and spending afternoons with them as well. It's, yeah, impressive. It's just 30 minutes. I can get a lot of stuff done in 30 minutes and I really chart it all out and I track it. I used to even blog. I was even thinking about making a software. It was a Viper Chill blog I read, but he was trying to suggest somebody make a software to track your Pomodaros and have your friends go in and compete. Because I'm really internally competitive with myself on uh, trying to get as much done in a 30-minute set for one thing. You know, It's like a race. Like I have the timer on and I'm just trying to consolidate and get as much done in that 30 minutes. I was listening to a Tim Ferriss podcast the other day and he had on, oh, the name's eluding me, but he had on a famous management consultant and the management consultant was talking about how he aimed for a thousand creative hours over the period of a year. And so he wasn't tracking a whole lot of metrics, but it was the same kind of thing with his mornings. He wanted to have three or four hours every day of in that amount of time and creating. And so it was interesting hearing something similar this week it's true i mean honestly my brain is tired like we're actually at the end of my set now i mean this kind of just started right at the end this is we're doing this at noon my time and uh i had just done i think i only got seven in today because uh, i had a distraction (laughs) well life you know i wish i could get my eight every day but um when I first started doing this, it would get tired at like five sets because when you're really in deep work and I'm convinced that there's books I've read that now it's even more valuable, deep work. Because now so many people are like distracted all the time that most people aren't getting actually stuff done. And what makes me so excited is if I can get scale all this and get really methodical and very deep and really dominate what I'm doing, like I can just have this you know, amazing uh, skill and advantage of being able to focus getting something done. My friends are blown away. Like um, a short story is, I launched that uh, FBA business within a day. Of course, there's more to it than that, but it started with a dinner conversation on a Saturday night with my friend, and he says, "Oh, I should get back into Amazon." And I said, "Well, I don't know if I have enough capital or time." And he's like, "You have community, just make a blog post and launch it." And then he got me so excited that the next morning, Sunday morning, I cranked out like a two thousand word blog post down. And uh, with pictures and application form, and he was just blown away. He's actually a partner in it as an advisor, Mayor Simhi. He's a really entrepreneur, amazing guy. But uh, he was just blown away. I got it done the next morning because it was like 8 p.m. on Saturday. We were talking about it, and like 9 a.m. Sunday, I sent him a link on social media. I'm like, here it is. And then, yeah, we got applications and we made it happen. Like, that's just how I work. You know, I couldn't have done it that night, Saturday night. Actually, I really believe people think at night. So that's why I think if you really can think about your next day the night before you're working in your sleep i haven't gotten so good at that but uh it's another tim ferris thing uh he has a blog post about uh forgot the exact word but where you can actually be awake in your sleep or you can uh, forget the name the type of dreaming it's like dreaming where you're uh you know you're dreaming Uh, anyways i just love work i don't know i guess finding also what you like to do you know and so people know me as like the guy that creates you know, content and has within this cross-border e-commerce, you know, Asia business and things like that. Yeah. And I think when it doesn't feel like work, that's when it can be sustainable and something that you keep on doing. 
and talking to people that have sold their businesses but then are looking to start the next business, it's clear that there's an interest or a passion there. And some of our audience on this show don't necessarily have businesses at the moment, but they're looking to make that transition. And I think that's something to consider. Is it in a field that you like? And my view isn't that you necessarily have to have, it doesn't have to be something that you love or be your only passion, but you have to like it enough and you have to like your customers enough to do it for a number of years. Yeah. I have a course I do about Amazon FBA and done in person. And one part people like is I say, are you an artist or a garbage man? <laughs> I made that one up, but because uh, I say the garbage man, I have a slide about the garbage man, and I said, "Well, nobody likes to pick up garbage, but somebody owns this business, you know, and this business owner probably makes a lot of money, and he's not the one picking up the garbage." So I say, "Is are you in love with the process, or are you in love with the actual art of what's being done?" Actually, a lot of times, a more successful entrepreneur doesn't really have that emotional connection with the product or service. Although I'm more the artist, honestly, so I'm not the garbage man, but I think, uh, or you can partner, you can have the garbage man and the artist yes. to partner together into a business. But you know, you got to balance the passion and the process. So some people love the process of a business and just want to find product or service that they can just build a process around. But I guess I'm more the artist. There's the positive and negative. So you have the passion to do it and you like what you're doing and the uh, art, but uh, Sometimes a person that just is process or the garbage man doesn't care about the actual service. Maybe even, I don't want to say it doesn't care about the customer, but isn't emotionally attached to the delivery of the service and is uh, just trying to create a scalable business. Well, you've tied that nicely back to where we started the show talking about business partners. And you may not be, you may be the artist or maybe the garbage, the garbage guy <laughs> for whatever. <laughs> but if you partner with the right person, and partnerships may not be for everyone, but sometimes, and I know in my experience as well, it can be really beneficial finding someone with a complementary skill set and then leveraging from that. So, Mike, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Did you have any additional thoughts or parting words that you wanted to share before we kind of wrap up? Yeah, I think we covered quite a bit. I mean, there's so much to share, but uh, essentially, I think. You know, finding the right people to work with and building a community and uh, trust. You know, I think a lot of times I, in deals that don't turn out the way I want to, sometimes I almost put myself as a disadvantage, you know, for the long term. So sometimes you got to decide that. And yeah, it's tricky, you know, managing relationships and partners is tricky, but try to make it as clear as possible, which is hard, but at least write down in the roles and responsibilities and the commitments. It's important. Well said. Well, thanks again. Enjoyed it. Thanks, Merle. Thank you for having me. By the way, if you want to support to get paid and make better decisions, we've put together a zero small business toolkit, including cash flow forecast templates and guide to setting up zero. Grab it for free at beingninjas.com slash zero toolkit. And that's X-E-R-O-T-O-O-L-K-I-T.